Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Okay. Yo, everybody, it's Kenny K-I-N-G King, and you're listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Hello and welcome to The Marvelous, the Marvel Universe podcast. My name is John Sherburn and I'm going to be your wraparound host for today. But don't worry, you'll hear Peter talk in just a few moments with a couple very special guests. But before we get into the usual riga marole, I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit first about how you can find us on them our social medias if you would like to follow any of us individually you can find me on twitter and instagram at john underscore sherburn that's john underscore s-h-e-r-b-u-r-n-e no h in the john uh if you want to find peter you can find him on twitter and on instagram at peter melnick and you can also find eddie on instagram at eddie 9193 if you'd like to follow the marvelous on social media, you can find them on Twitter, you can find them on Instagram, and you can find them on Facebook at The Marvelous. It's really straightforward. If you'd like to drop us a line on their email back, you may feel free to do so. Send us your questions, comments, concerns, strongly worded letters, old uh, diaries from your grandparents when they were apart, uh, anything really, and you can find us there at themarvelous at gmail.com. Um, you can also support our show by signing up for Stitcher Premium using that promo code at checkout, Marvelous, and you can get that for free for a whole month. And after that, it's only $5 a month. That's only $5. You spend $5 on a three-pack of gum. I'm sure you can spend $5 on supporting the, the Stitchers and on the Marvelous. Um, additionally, if you want to see the first foray that Marvel did into podcasting, you can do so uh, by going on to... TheWolverinePodcast.com and you can there look at their first two seasons. Yep, their first two seasons. First one is called Wolverine The Long Night and the second one's called Wolverine The Lost Trail. Two amazing forays into film or into podcasting and this uh, there's a whole host of comic book creators and writers and things that are working on that. So if you're looking for your Wolverine fix, that's how you get your Wolverine fix. Um, so th- that's my little secret for you. Now, you can find The Marvelous anywhere you find podcasts. And I'm talking iTunes. Yeah, that's right. Like, review, rate, subscribe, all that fun stuff. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Stitcher, Podbean. Um, You can find us on Google Podcasts. You can find us on really anywhere you get your podcasts. So I really recommend that you go in there. You look look around. uh, Find your best one. Um, the best podcasting app for you, and you listen to us there every single week because we have content for you all the time. So that is it for the introduction. Now time for the introductions. Um, Today on the show, we're going to have a couple really cool people on. I'm going to get them both out of the way here up front so you guys know what you're getting into. First off, we're going to have Kenny King on the show. Kenny King is a professional wrestler known for his, he's what, a two-time world wrestling or world television champion um and he's just done a lot of cool stuff and on top of that he's a really big comic book fan so today uh peter is going to be on the show interviewing kenny king interviewing this big cool wrestler dude about what it takes to like comics so without further ado here's that interview please enjoy All right, we are kicking off a new segment here on The Marvelists. It is Famous Fans, and we are in New York City at the Hammerstein Ballroom in Manhattan. I'm just going to go one more time just to do that. But we are joined with Ring of Honor wrestler. He's a former television champion, I believe. Mm -hmm. Tag team champion. You're a two-timer? Two-time television champion. Thank you. And you you were also on The Bachelorette. I was. And, yeah, just... Absolutely insane. First off, just some of the stuff that you've done, and I, I'm going to ask this because there's the connection between pro wrestling and comic books. What do you see as the major connector between superhero comics, comic books in general, and professional wrestling? Um, pro wrestling is live action comic books. Uh, you know, you get to see uh, each match uh, 
each show, but each match is a battle between some of your your, your favorite characters. And uh, you know, if you look at it in the context of you know each battle, kind of you know, is, is a small piece of a movie. Uh, that's kind of what a wrestling show is. And all of us as kids used to you know love seeing our, our favorite comic book characters hit hit and use their favorite powers and and you know I mean just just defy gravity and just do all this stuff. And then and, and you know that's where our fantasies come from. And that's what we do in pro wrestling. Everybody watches you know people get thrown through tables and picked up and slammed and, and get up and fight and, and it triggers those same kind of emotions yeah like you know the equivalent of like certain kinds of body slams or just like a finishing move i don't know why i went body slam for the first one but you know just like the finishers it's the equivalent of like let's say green lantern and his power ring and mm-hmm. i realize i'm going over to the distinguished competition right now but <laughs> you know you have like let's say distinguished fans. competition i yeah. like that i like that see i'm a dc fan but there are like what do you think about DC? Uh, I think that DC uh, has always had really great stories. I don't think much about the film division like everybody, but Shazam was good. I didn't see Shazam. Oh, I'm gonna go check so it out. Um, but I think that you know, if you look character for character and and, and storyline for storyline, DC can hang comic book wise. You know, yeah. they just haven't. They just don't have the, the pub that, that Marvel's got. You know, they don't have the, the, the track record. I suppose it's kind of funny because like in the 1960s, uh, DC was. You know, they were the kings in the 50s, and then in the 60s, Marvel came along, and it's just like, now we want to make things that are more relatable to, like, the average person. And obviously, Spider-Man's not really going to be that relatable in the sense of, oh, I can, you know, shoot webs. I, I can't. Mm-hmm. It's just a terrible idea. But we can relate to the problems that, you know, Peter Parker faces, going on dates, going, having a math problem or something. Again, I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, it's, it's the thing that, you know, he can, you know... Pick up the rhino and toss and web him up, but you know he still can't figure out how to get it beyond his chemistry test. Like it's a, you know it's any geek from Queens that can kind of that that's the disassociation part. Like oh man, I can associate more way more Peter Parker. And my, you know my other go-to with professional wrestling is there are relatable characters. Mm-hmm. And like for example, you know you look at WWE with like Roman Reigns, the whole he, what he overcame with the, you know, I believe it was in Kenya, mm-hmm. yeah. and. It's a relatable thing because you see people who have dealt with something like that. There's that relatability or different characters in professional wrestling. And it's just that relatability. And that's the connection I see between professional wrestling and at least Marvel comics especially. Because DC is very... I love DC. I love characters like Superman. Superman's my go-to guy. Mm -hmm. But can you relate to Superman? But you can relate to a Spider-Man, the Incredible Hulk, Iron Man, Captain America. You can relate to any of those. I mean, I, I look at it like, especially now in pro wrestling, um, everything shades of gray. You know, there's, there's good guys and there's bad guys, but but everybody, uh, like you said, you can relate to a certain character because of, of whatnot. Uh, I've always thought Magneto was one of the greatest characters of all time, and I thought I think that I think that he's not he's not a villain. He just happens to be you know the 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 foil for the X Men. But Magneto has always just wanted a place where he can just chill and, and and you know he doesn't mind doing whatever it takes to get that. My thing with Magneto is I love what they say on the podcast and Jay and Miles explain the X-Men. Magneto had some valid points. Very much so. That's why I'm, I'm actually going through like the 1970s, 1980s X-Men, rereading, you know, for the second time. And I'm reading Magneto's stuff and I'm just like, oh, wow. He's, he's got a point. Magneto has a very good point. And I'm real quick on the topic of Magneto because I know you're a fan of the movies as well. I, I remember after Infinity War, I came by one of the shows and we talked for a little bit about Infinity War. The whole Fox deal going on. There's a lot of people wondering what the future of the X-Men could be, and we're recording today. I believe it's uh, the third day of San Diego Comic Con. In four hours from now, we're going to find out the future of the Marvel movies. Are they rolling out the? Uh, oh yeah. How many years out? Are they going to actually do, or are they going to do like Untitled Project, Untitled Project? Uh, uh, see, that would be the biggest disappointment. <laughs> <if they did laughs> Untitled Project, Untitled, because that's what I mean. They did that for. I mean, a couple of years ago, I can remember when, when you know, like the, the Ant-Mans were coming out, Doctor Strange, but you still had so many untitled Thor projects. And... Remember Inhumans? Oh, yeah. Oh, that was supposed <laughs> yeah. to come out two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Which is hilarious. I forgot about that. But like I said, you know, they're going to reveal the future of it, and some of the X-Men are going to be... They, I've heard they're not going to do anything with the X-Men because the aftermath of Dark Phoenix recently, I saw that movie. Well, I asked, I don't know if you remember, I asked you, I, I, yeah. I saw it, and I was like, eh, yes or no, and you, you kind of steered me away, so I it's, didn't go see it. It's coming to uh, Blu-ray and DVD and home video, I believe, in September. 
All right, I can so wait. Like very fast. I can wait. But like I said, you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen with the X-Men, but who would you want to see as like a Magneto on the big screen now? Because we can't get Sir Ian McKellen. Although, wait a minute. Did you see Spider-Man Far From Home? I did. I did. Maybe we could get Sir Ian McKellen with the multiverse stuff. Yeah, but here, but they, but they messed it up, right? Because it was, and this is kind of exactly what I knew they were going to do as soon as I saw Mysterio. I was like, all right, you're going to play with us with the, oh, wait, there's a multiverse, but what does Mysterio do? Lie all the time. So, you know, it was, it, that, that was the, the, the big fake out. Um, I still think that they, especially with Into the Spider-Verse, you have so much legs with the multiverse. Spider-Verse is still, the, honestly, I've gone on record saying, and I'm going to say it again, Spider-Verse is the best anime best comic book movie I've ever seen. I, I, can't, I, I can't say anything but I agree 100%. It's amazing in so many different ways. It's one of those movies I've watched so many times. I saw four times in theaters. Because I was like, you know what? I want to experience it one more time. And I actually, I'm kicking myself because I didn't get to see it in IMAX. Oh, what? I've heard like that was like the way to see it. That was the only way that, I mean, that was the only way I felt that you had to see it. The, the animation was so amazing. The soundtrack was amazing. Like, uh, it, it definitely... In regards to the multiverse aspect, because we're now in a post-blip world, I'm thinking maybe we could get Sir Ian McKellen to come back because J. Jonah Jameson is back and it's J.K. Simmons one more time, which he's behind the mustache. I didn't think that would happen. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, who would I want to play Magneto? I'd go with Peter Capaldi from Doctor Who. Like he has the look. Just shove, you know, a purple tin can on his head. And he's gonna be it. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of. I mean, I really, I, I really liked. Uh, I can't remember the in the in the in the, in the reboots, the first uh, oh, first class. Yeah, Michael Fassbender was very very good so I don't see any reason to change him I mean I, the, the dynamic between him and I can't remember any of these guys name Charles McAvoy yeah. uh, or James McAvoy uh, that's a Patrick Stewart Ian McKellen kind of chemistry that you did that, that I wasn't expecting to get and my thing is with Dark Phoenix he acted his ass off like he was the movie was certainly a movie but <laughs> he was like the best part about it mm -hmm. like when he shows up you're just like oh Oh, this is what they're going to be doing. All right. And I just feel like with Dark Phoenix, like we didn't need to see that story one more time. Much like the audience probably doesn't want to hear me talk about Dark Phoenix one more time. I felt like we, I feel like we didn't get it though, right? I mean, yeah. the, whatever that bullshit was on X-Men 3 where, where she disintegrates Charles Xavier and Cyclops, I, it was just awful. Why would you kill Cyclops? <laughs> I mean, it was just, so I don't count any of that. I mean, I, I, I count that as giving a, a, you know, oh, hey, look, we do know that the Dark yeah. Phoenix thing exists. But um, I felt like they really dropped the ball. They dropped the ball to really introduce, like, the Shi'ar. I mean, I don't know if they... This is me not having seen the movie. They kind of did. Okay. And it's like, when you find out who the one character is, you're just like... Oh, if it's not really? Gladiator, That's then I'm sort of pissed. So you know that really... No, Gladiator wasn't in there, but... No, what are we doing? You know, uh, what's her name? The, in the movie, the blonde woman who's got, like, the pale eyes and everything or whatever, she is... The uh, main woman, the Empress of the Shia. Uh, the one that Charles Xavier Leandre. was in love with, Leandre. Yeah, that's yeah, her. Yeah. Blonde hair, and she doesn't look like a bird at all. Yeah, she should definitely be dark-haired. Or Deathbird was the, was the sister, right? I believe so. Okay. But just the idea of really that's her, and just a lame villain. Like I, that's why I'm excited for the future of this because of Marvel's quality control. Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige knows what he's doing. And it's not just me saying this because the poor show talks about Marvel, but the proof is in the pudding. And I hate that expression, but it's true. Well, just look at the direction and, and the quality of the movies since Marvel's taken over. I mean, you can look at what superhero movies were before, and then you can look at what a, what a concerted effort to you know, have a whole universe looks like. And that was what I thought. I mean, I... Infinity Gauntlet is one of my favorite stories of all so of all comic books, and I was extremely happy and then very, very you know weary when I saw that you know wait I said is that Thanos wait is that Infinity Gauntlet uh, and and just to see how they were able to piece each movie together and each movie was was a legit building block uh, into Infinity War and Endgame uh, and. That's that's what Marvel is doing, and DC if they they got to be able to, to figure it out. Yeah, and, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to do it all at once, 
Is it evidenced by Justice League, Batman versus Superman? Oh, come on. Hashtag release the Snyder Cut. <laughs> At Comic-Con this weekend, they actually had somebody pay for a banner. And it went across San Diego Comic-Con and it says, WB released the Snyder Cut. And I'm just like, oh, God. But they took part of the proceeds and donated it to a child's charity, which I'm like, okay, that's fine. But, like, really, guys? It's not going to get released. Yeah, yeah. Although Justice League was certainly okay. It wasn't the worst right. thing. Again, Dark Phoenix, but... It was, it, it was all right. I liked the, 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 the chemistry between the cast and, you know, uh, I... It wasn't awful, right? Yeah. It wasn't your awful, your, your your typical first superhero team up. We we hate each other. We have all these individual conflicts, but then we rise together. It was, it was different. Well, I've always found it funny, like a lot of like you were mentioning about the whole jamming it all in for Justice League. I remember reading a fan comment about uh, the first wave of Marvel, and they said they're jamming it all in, and I'm like, excuse me, how are you doing this? This is over the course of six movies, right? And that's including Avengers. It's not jamming it all in, and if anything. You jammed it all in in the second movie, where, by the way, Lex Luthor is an amazing graphic designer. He designed everyone's logo. He just did such a great job. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. He's the king of Photoshop and Illustrator. I'm proud of him. Uh, also, and created Doomsday. Yeah. He's he's the greatest villain of all time. I just, I just don't get it. But at the end of the day, also, there are people that really enjoy it, you know? So it's whatever. But in regards to, like, the future of the Marvel movies, I'm excited to see where they're going to go, because... They do a good job of making people care about characters we would never care about. Mm -hmm. Ant-Man was a great movie, and it made me care about Ant-Man. And not just, you know, the Hank Pym version, the Scott Lang version. And as a diehard Guardians fan, to the point where I might be showing Kenny my Star Wars tattoo. Holy cow. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a story behind that. I'll tell you later. Okay. They made you care about the Guardians. The Guardians, right. And, I mean, nobody really gave a shit about Drax. No. You know what I mean? Like I played the saxophone. Right, right. He was just a, it was, uh, The Guardians was, was a very surprising movie because one, it was a great cast, but, yeah. but the, again, when you have good casting and you have good writing, I mean, and, and, and the actors just seamlessly flow. I mean, it, it looked like they just had a party filming, filming two movies, you know? And it, the funniest thing is it showed the world that Dave Bautista is a really good actor. Yeah, like, a oh great actor. I'm actually really, like, I liked him in Blade Runner 2049 for, like, the five minutes he was in the movie. He was the best part of the movie. Next to every five seconds where you just hear, that was the score for that movie. But I digress. And, yeah, I'm just, I'm excited to see what's next. And I feel like they're going to make people want to care about the Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. My prediction, I made it on the show this past week, is they're going to do the big reveal of the Fantastic Four. Because this is phase four, what better way... Fantastic Four. I mean, I, I, I'm a semi-Fantastic Four fan, but I would personally, just due to how many times we've tried this, yeah. <laughs> and how many times we can't get this right, I would wait. I would find. I would find out a way to do an origin story halfway through through someone else's movie. You know what I mean? And then yeah. it's just like, wait a minute, did we just see the Fantastic? You know what I mean? They, it could literally just be a different scene where they are, you know. Reed Richards and, and then they they're in the spaceship and then you never hear about it again and then the next thing is like well this is what happened that's how you can kind of garner that oh shit but I thought it's like a cool way of introducing them would be as like time travelers like they were they're from the 60s but they're going all over time mm -hmm. and it the problem again that I've gone on about is the reason the Fantastic Four don't work is they make them into superheroes they're a to their family yeah yeah and I feel like if, Mar if DC did Challengers of the Unknown, which is, they were the prototype of the Fantastic Four, they're going to make them into superheroes when they should realize, oh yeah, they're not superheroes whatsoever. Yeah, Reed Richards isn't a superhero, you know what I mean? He's just bendy. <laughs> He's just stretchy. The closest like, thing to a hero there is The Thing and... Uh, and Human Torch, yeah. yeah. And I've always found it funny, there are people that are wondering if they do bring him in, who could play these characters. I've also thought Zac Efron would make a great Human Torch. Like good, I've heard that call. from friend of the show Charles Perallo. He always goes on about that, and it's a good choice. That's a good card. I, I could immediately see that. Actually, good Johnny Blaze and or Johnny Storm. Hello. I'd like to see like a pro wrestling game with him. Because why not? It could work. And then my. Uh, How about Mark Henry? Oh. Mark Henry is the thing. And he's a big comic book fan yep. too. So yep. that would. I could see that, and he's got the cool voice where it could mm. be like. He could really get that deep southern guy. Yeah. I like that. 
I like that too. And the other the other one I've gone on about in the past is Reed Richards, Denzel. Ooh. And there have been people where they just look at me like, really? I'm like, come on, man. It's you can do it. He's good. And he's he can play anything. Yeah. He can absolutely. He can play a stump. You know what I mean? See, I would watch that. I would, Denzel as a stump, I absolutely would, because somewhere you're going to get that Denzel stump voice, and then that's it. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, there's just so many different elements of the Marvel Universe. And you mentioned the idea of like maybe sneaking the characters in through like back doors for this. I mentioned in the past as well of uh, bringing in Wolverine through an Alpha Flight movie. Have him fight the Hulk. See, I like... I like the idea of an Alpha Flight movie and bringing use the Wendigo as uh, as, as the, the big foil and then bringing the Wolverine to kill the Wendigo. <laughs> so the idea of just, you know, these characters, they, they make you care about things that you otherwise would. And I feel Kevin Feige, he'll help knock it out. I, I think he's just got good guidance, he's got good vision, and that's really what he's been doing this whole time is just showing his vision. Shout out to Eli Drake. Who would you want to see in the Marvel Universe as like the next start of the wave? Uh, Hi, you know. Hey, Alex. I'm good. How are you, man? Always good to see you. Um, you know, I would like to see some sort of. It's not so much like that. I would. I want to see a Galactus. You know. A real on Galactus. So, so then it becomes a Fantastic Four movie, or does it? Then, it, yeah. then maybe it becomes a Silver Surfer movie. Uh, but I, I, I want to get into the Celestials a little bit, you know, because it, it, you might be getting that with the Turtles. Huh? That's what I, I've heard. Like the Turtles movie is going to happen, and everyone's going on about Keanu. What could Keanu play? Because they they're in talks with him. Yeah, Keanu. And everybody wants Keanu now, right? I, I want him to be Moon Knight, and I mean, I. Keanu Reeves is Moon Knight? I kind of dig that. I wanted to fight Dracula because he owes me money. So, why not? But the idea of just all these different characters that... Did they ever do the Cloak and Dagger thing? They did a TV show over on uh, Freeform. Okay. And it's still going and apparently it's really good. I haven't watched it. I'm a terrible Marvel fan in that sense, but I'm also on season one of uh, Defenders. Well, only season one. So I'm really far behind. Yeah, yeah. But... I, when you mentioned Galactus, who would you want to have as the, like, let's say we were to take one of these characters and make them the overarching villain at the Thanos, would you want to go with Galactus or Doctor Doom? Doctor Doom. So he would be, like, the big bad they go with? Yeah, I think so, because he's got so much history, and it is and it is somebody who, I mean, with the Galactus, it's almost the scope is too big. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, then you, you oh, what is the thing called, the... Nebulizer, the ultimate nullifier, yes, nullifier or something like that. Um, so it, it, Galactus already has a, a, a pretty much setup, and with Doctor Doom, you could really, you could, you could have Doom, you could have Doom even like form a Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. You know what I mean? I and, and, it, the screen right now. and it goes on, like you know what I mean? And, and over the course of seven or eight movies, now we have bad guys yeah. that, that need to be overcome you know, versus just one main threat or, or these these little threats that are leading out of Ronin's working for Thanos, you know what I mean? But this is, Doom is going and activating sleeper super villain cells. And what I'm wondering now is with the uh, post-blood world, maybe they end up bringing characters back that had died in previous movies, but... There was like a little technicality, like uh, they're gonna come back anyway. Like we could see they jumped out of the, you know, they they, they caught a ride. <laughs> I'd love to see come back, and because he was so underrated in the role, and he was just not in a great, he wasn't in a great movie in the MCU, although it's a decent movie for its own. I want to see Mickey Rourke back. He was so damn underrated in that role. Iron Man Two was one of my favorites. Really? Yeah, I did. I because I, I liked Riplash. It was it was a good villain. He's such a good villain because it's the whole aspect of. He was Russian Iron Man, and I, I was going to do a Russian accent, but I realized it would probably be offensive <laughs> for a Russian listener, so we're not going to go with that. But just the idea of he's that. He's, he's overlooked because he didn't have the money for that tech, but he could still do that. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I just feel the future of the MCU is in very good hands, and the possibilities are endless. Like, we could get...
we could get a Squirrel Girl movie and it would do really well. It might not make a billion, but it would still do pretty damn well. Because there's just they, now they're just catering to the fan base, you yeah. know, and, and which is what you do when you have a trillion dollar comic book fan, franchise. Yeah. You, you, you know, you just make movies for the fan base. And that trillion is not an exaggeration. Like at this point, they're so close. As of this recording, they're almost ready to beat Avatar for the top grossing movie of all time. One movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's not even counting if you if you add up the Avengers. Black Panther and the, the, you know what I mean like you, you have to be in a trillion closer to or two or trillion or maybe a trillion but and they made, just the insane amount of money they made Iron Man Iron Man was like we were going up there was the cartoon I believe in the 90s and it wasn't that good he had a mullet yeah he had the little thin pencil mustache him and him, the, the Mandarin was, was his foil uh, that was, you know what? That was a great time for comic book and uh, and, and like video game cartoons. You had on USA, you had Street Fighter, Savage Dragon. There was Street Sharks too. I believe. Street Sharks, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this that is was the second time Street Sharks has been mentioned on this show. Street By the way, I think sharks. I think maybe it's a sign that there should be a Street Sharks podcast, the Shark Cast. That's just a terrible. Oh, idea. well, you get Shark Boy. You get here's what you get: Shark Boy from wrestling, and then you get the kid that plays Shark Boy. And then boom, that makes it writes itself. Unfortunately, I can only get Dean Baldwin. I mean, you know, that, that's a deep cut for wrestling fans out there, so enjoy that. <laughs> but just the idea of like all of these characters, like I said, Iron Man. Iron Man was as D-list or not D-list, but like a C-lister. Yeah, he was definitely a C-lister. I mean, look at look at who, the the movies that came out before Spider-Man, X-Men. You know what I mean? They tra- those were the Daredevil. All those movies with all the pop rock music, like Seether, uh, Nickelback, you can't go wrong with <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Although it was hilarious because some people said it and I'm kind of in agreement, but Venom was the closest we got to the, those in early 2000s. I would really prefer not to talk about Venom. Oh, come on, you don't want to talk about Venom. Venom. No, no, I don't. I don't want to talk about any, any world where... Eddie Brock doesn't hate Peter Parker. They want to bring him into the MCU. I don't see why not, right? It'll make them money, but the thing is, I don't know if I want to see it because then that means Venom is an MCU movie. And there's also that little quality control in the sense of this. They don't want to... Like, they have a PG-13 rating, and you can can drop one F1. Venom would be the first MCU movie to drop an F1. Don't do it. Don't, Don't do it, Kevin. Why not, right? Yeah, it, 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 it's like this. If you have a Lobo movie, you're not going to you can't have a PG-13, right? You saw what they did to, to Negan. So, yeah. so if you have one, why not? You got, at some point, adults like comic books too. Yeah. Right? I'll just tell you that fans are coming in. Okay. So before we head out, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Uh, social media, all my social media is Kenny King PB2. Kenny King PB2. Uh, that's Twitter, Instagram. I'm real interactive. Hit me up. Very cool. Kenny, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Pete. And a big thank you to Kenny King. Kenny, thank you for being on the show on behalf of all the Marvelous. Next up, we have someone that you might be familiar with if it isn't your first rodeo at the show. We got our friend, Daniel Cablesmith, who is a, a friend of the show, he's been on once or twice, and he has quite—he's quite the guy. He's been nominated for Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Review for a Variety Special, as well as other things he's written for the Late Show. He's—he wrote Black Panther versus Deadpool, as as well as just a lot of other stuff. Lockjaw is one of my personal favorites, and so if you like him, this is this is quite the good interview. Um, I'm not going to spoil too much, but I really did enjoy listening to it. So without further ado, let's see what Daniel Cablesmith has to say with. All right, this is not a convention. I was about to do the convention opening, but we're here, New York City. Daniel Kibblesmith, how you doing? I'm doing really well. We could call this we could call this KibbleCon or something. We're in my house. It's true. We could, you know, there's still at least five Harley Quinn cosplayers here. Sure, yeah, at any given time. I was actually at a con once where there were no Harley Quinn cosplayers, no Deadpool cosplayers, and the Batman that was there paid to be there as a guest. That that's a like a con. that's like a like a Twilight Zone. That's like a f- <laughs> And it also led to an awkward moment where at the end I was trying to still haggle um, one of the guys for a Boba Fett action figure and 
He was like, you Wait, really literally the plot of that Eltingville story. Pretty much. Wow. Got it. That's really interesting that you bring up Evan Dorkin, just because I've been on a big Evan Dorkin kick again. I'll bring up Evan Dorkin within the first two minutes of any podcast. That dude is the most underrated guy in comics, and he doesn't get the credit he deserves. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, I, I hesitate to call people underrated because I never kind of know how they feel about their career, like what they have going on that I don't know about. But um, yeah, I'm such a huge Evan Dorkin fan. And he's one of the things that got me back into comics in my um, kind of like late high school, early college years. The funniest thing is my experience with Eltingville Club is literally the cartoon. I've never read any of the stories because I just haven't picked up the Eltingville Oh No, actually, I read the uh, last Eltingville story. Yeah, and the kind of recent... God, that was dark to read, just because it's also like you're watching the toxic, you know, environment of everything and mm-hmm. realizing, oh no. And he's and he's a pro, you know, who's who's been around. So it's not autobiographical, but it is of the world. And it's not just you know him as a pro as a creator, but also as somebody who works in a worked in a comic book shop, right? Because he was at Jim Henson's Universe or Hanley's. <laughs> I'm, I think, I'm pretty sure it was Jim Henson's universe. <laughs> this is actually being recorded the weekend of uh, San Diego Comic Con. We are not there. But Neither of us. There. But sure. I mean, oh wow! Just look at that line. Yeah, Anyways, they're so- all gonna meet uh, Bret Hart. <laughs> I don't know. I said the first name. I thought of who people might line up to meet. I would. I've met Bret Hart. He's a nice guy. I hear he's nice. He, well, he's Canadian, so it's, it's he's a nice. given. He's polite. But the idea of uh, what's it called uh, with. With this weekend, they actually had a Jim Henson Legends bus. They're doing one of him, uh, Stan Lee, and I want to say Walt Disney. The actual man, Jim Henson, is getting a bust of himself that you yeah. can purchase. Just like random bust that you can buy. And it's like a bronze one, but it looks like the wrestler Daniel Bryan. So of course it does. Of course it does. With his gigantic beard, and you're just like, you need a Muppet at least. Like a Kermit's googly eyes. Something know. to differentiate. I was going to say I'm 50-50 that I'm really going to purchase that, and now I'm 100% going to purchase that. It's so bizarre. I have to now, I'm going to show you while we're talking about this, but it's just yeah. such a strange thing. After this, and we can put it in the show notes, I have a framed uh, illustration of Jim Henson upstairs by Paul Hornschmeyer from his his book that's very similar of um, portraits of uh, like thinkers and creators uh, where he drew um, like a bunch of people, like uh, Salvador Dali and, and H.P. Lovecraft and stuff. Oh boy, if you didn't know that was Jim Henson, you might not get it right away. And they also have George Lucas, but minus the turkey gobble. Yeah, he's he's trim. And then of course Stanley Manley. Yep, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar. showing pictures to Daniel on the audio podcast. So. But if these were not in the context of like fandom stuff, they would just look like like the Stan Lee one could be in the lobby of like Chase Bank or something, and you just assume <laughs> that he was like the second vice president. You're probably wondering how I can get twelve percent APR. <laughs> True believers. Excelsior. But the main reason I brought you here, well, you live here in this house, so I technically. Thank you. We'll <laughs> Thank you for bringing me here. I was so lost. <laughs> the main reason you're on today's fine program is because this week, as of this recording, a certain trickster ended up getting his new comic book series starting. We're, of course, talking about Loki, and this is not really a Loki announcement. <laughs> I get it. But, well, yeah. That is the joke I made on Twitter, though. Have you? When it got when announced, yeah. that was. I think it's, it might still be my pinned tweet. It was a low-key pun. And I, I still get notifications from yours of um, your tweet to me where low-key fans of all kinds can come along. Because I was like, oh no, the hardcores are going to... Oh no. No, I mean I understand I understand why you would phrase it that way, but this is this is for the hardcore, uh, hopefully. I mean, how often has Loki gotten his own uh ongoing? Like Agents of Asgard uh got a, a fair number of issues uh and it's tremendous. Uh but generally speaking, like l- comics where Loki is the the title character are um you know, like four-parters and things yeah. like that. And often as the Vote villain. Vote Loki was uh, four or five uh, and it was kind of um, all around the sort of the gimmick and the time that it was released. Also really good. Uh, and I talked to, to Chris uh, Hastings, uh, the writer of that, um, you know, going into uh, going into our Loki. Uh, but yeah, this is the first kind of... Um, this is the first comic book that's just called Loki, where he's 
the 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 hero you know not like uh here's a prequel protagonist loki who is still a villain uh messing with thor right um and those are all you know those are all crucial parts of the character and parts of my research but uh yeah it's i I feel like this character has gotten over like a big hump where he can just be the quote-unquote hero of his own comic book without there having to be any kind of like caveat associated with it or or a gimmick and i'm curious the last time you were on we talked about writers like Chip Zdarsky and Chris Hastings, how they come from a comedic background mm-hmm. and they somehow managed to find ways to make us cry. Is the Loki run going to have us cry this time? Yes, a thousand percent. I can totally see that. A thousand percent. No, of course he is. I mean, Loki is all about big feelings. Yeah. That's his whole deal. He's a, a, a sad, you know, orphan slash adopted. He's got daddy issues. He's got, you know, golden older brother issues. <laughs> Uh, he's, uh, done, uh, you know, thousands of years worth of things that he feels tremendously guilty about. And then at times kind of doesn't feel guilty about. He was in a tree at one point. He was in a tree. The first time you see Loki, uh, 57 years ago, I think it is. He's, he's stuck in a tree and he has to. Not counting, by the way. (laughs) No, of course not. Uh, yeah, he has to, uh, and I, I think I referenced this in the, my letter to the readers uh, at the end of Loki one, he's stuck in a tree uh, and he will never be free unless somebody sheds a tear for him. And who could shed a tear for someone as terrible as Loki? Well, if they look like Tom Hiddleston, I'm sure there'll be plenty of it's tears. A little, it's a little easier now. A little Beatlemania tears. Oh God. <laughs> He's in town. Uh, Tom Hiddleston is doing Broadway really? right now. Uh, yeah, because he tweeted a selfie of himself walking down, uh, walking down the streets uh, by his Broadway show and uh, he he joked that it was his new office, and it doesn't look it doesn't look like exactly like our Loki number one cover where Loki's on the Brooklyn Bridge tossing Milner. It, it's so cool. very clever. I wish I could take credit for that idea, <laughs> but it's still Tom Hiddleston walking down a New York street, and it's just similar enough that I feel like it it can't be a coincidence. It's this God of Stories kind of synchronicity. There's got to be an homage to that. Absolutely, I can see that. Maybe if we get a a second printing on issue one, I'll pitch for the uh, Tom Hiddleston selfie cover. I mean, that'd be cool to see, just because. And... Imagine we'd have to ask his permission. Well, probably. (laughs) (laughs) There might be some... We might have to talk to some PR people to make that happen. I remember when... uh, What's it called? I think it was Deadpool number seven. They did a parody cover, and that actually kind of confused me. Do you remember the... uh, No, I don't know what this is. The uh, Scotty Young run that's Mm -hmm. going on. It was a Garbage Pail Kids parody. And apparently they actually had to pull that off the shelves because they used the lo- they used like the parody without permission or something. But Interesting. But parody is allowed. Yeah. Well, you know, this is America, baby. Anybody can sue anybody for any reason. Evidently. But yes, I imagine that there's probably like a fine line of, of parody that they may have not crossed, but perhaps it was not worth uh, having it arbitrated. It was just surprising when I saw that. I'm like, I got it in my poll that week, and I'm like, huh, that's a funny cover. I'm going to well, hold on to this. Away. Yeah, no, put this on eBay. And... Well, I mean, it's Deadpool. I'm, I'm a diehard Deadpool fan, as we discussed in the last time you were mm-hmm. on here. So. Likewise. God, by the way, that run. I just reread it today and... Oh, the one I wrote? Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's so good. And it's like one of those, if you have Marvel Unlimited... We should say this is uh, Black Panther versus Deadpool, yes. uh, which was also a, a mini. Uh, Loki is my first Marvel ongoing, so anything else with my name on it so far has been uh, intended to run four or five issues. I am waiting, though, for Deadpool versus Fin Fang Foom. It has to happen. Like, we promised. The battle of Deadpool versus <laughs> the dragon with the purple pants. That's right. Where does he get that? Like, I imagine it's the same place Hulk gets his pants. Yeah, so Hulk is a at that store. Hulk is probably an XS, and then it goes. The Hulk is the Hulk purple pants are the smallest size. Surprisingly. And then Fin Fang Foom, I'm gonna say, is like the second to largest size because Galactus has got to be wearing something underneath there. I mean, there's chafing. Mm-hmm. A lot mm-hmm. of chafing. And the idea of just that again, that Deadpool versus Black Panther versus Deadpool run, I'm also partial to it because of the nods and winks you make to the audience, such as the Wakanda Forever and how it's oh so similar. It's literally the same thing for X-Force. I just, I feel like 
this is sort of this speaks to I think my entire approach to writing characters that exist already in a, in a universe that that has so much um, you know ephemera is that I'm watching it the same way everybody else. You know, I've only been writing Marvel comics for about 90 minutes, so I'm coming we're, into we're it. Timing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 97 minutes. <laughs> so I'm coming to it with the same sort of uh, fan eyeballs of, you know, you can't unnotice something. And that's kind of what Loki's about, too. It's about, like, am I allowed to point out that the people in charge have perhaps left a door open a crack that I may walk through. And that, that letter, by the way, in your Loki issue, in regards to, you know, essentially you get punished for noticing something. It's true. That's right? it. Yeah. I mean, you, you make a, you make an observation that is true, but if in doing so you uh, call attention to the weakness of an authority figure, uh, then they will, they will consider that an attack. And I think that's something that a lot of, uh, people you know, reading comics or people who grew up with nerdy hobbies uh, can relate to. Oh yeah, and I think that's you know coming from a place of like comedy and satire with uh, my other jobs. Uh, I think that that's something that I do innately with comic books is that when you get to write characters like Deadpool or Loki, you know Deadpool like explicitly breaks the fourth wall. Loki has this kind of like cosmic awareness. Uh, and in our Loki book, he's um, he's the narrator, uh, and we give him like kind of flickers of omniscience because he's a god. Uh, and I think that that gives me the freedom to point out weird little things that I've noticed over the years, right. and that's very uh, satisfying to me as a reader. There's like an Easter egg quality. Be like, oh yeah, we're finally talking about this. One thing that I found very interesting, I noticed it with your Black Panther versus Deadpool, and I'm noticing it with this. You are bringing back some conventions that comics have not seen in a long time. I've noticed you're bringing back the narration and stuff like that, the uh, which has kind of fallen by the wayside. Like you know, there's that, and then with Black Panther versus Deadpool, not so, as big of a thing, but the covers where you'll have like a little word bubble. You're I know. I was really excited that. about that. Yeah, yeah, and I'm. I can't. I can't take credit for that idea. But once I found out we were allowed to do it, I was all over it. Uh, yeah, with, um, well, I'll, I'll go in order. With the narration, it felt like, um, it felt like a tool that was, uh, validated by the genre. When you're doing a, when you're doing a story about mythic characters, I think that you can kind of give it a, a storybook quality. So I needed there to be things that Loki knew. Right. Uh, and he is our protagonist, and I wanted uh, I wanted uh, the readers to have an intimate relationship with him. So I wanted to give him the kind of like conventional first person narration that like a modern comic book would have. You know, if you're reading uh, Spider Man, uh, and Peter Parker's talking about how bad his day is going. So I wanted Loki to be that kind of narrator, but uh, he's also uh, going to be in dangerous situations. Uh, there's going to be things that Loki does not know. Uh, and that's where the kind of conventional narrator comes in. Norse gods and predicaments. Yes, exactly. That that's the subtitle. That would make a great Facebook page. Yeah, it's the, uh, it's the young heroes in love style spinoff of Loki. And in regards to the Loki run, what are some of the inspirations you're getting for this run? I mean... Uh, again, I haven't been writing for Marvel that long, so all of the big influences are this kind of uh, general miasma of I get to write a Marvel Universe comic. But that being said, I do very much want it to be a Marvel Universe comic. Like, I'm not doing, you know, a riff on like Walt Simonson's Thor or anything like that, where it's predominantly uh, like uh, Loki and Thor and Asgardian characters. I think that Loki has been around long enough. It had enough interactions, especially really uh, fun and uh, modern and uh, cute uh, interactions with characters like Miss Marvel and Squirrel Girl, while simultaneously being like the big bad of the Avengers and you know knocking Celestials out of the sky. Uh, so he's this character who has been a all-purposes Marvel Universe villain 
for a really long time, uh, you know, fighting like Spider-Man as, you know, like Red Skull or something, like just a guy who has his primary antagonist in Thor, but is also just around. And everybody knows him and everybody knows what his deal is. And he's effectively immortal and uh, virtually indestructible. So you end up with this character that the whole universe knows is a jerk. He has baggage with everybody. So much baggage he needs a porter. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> and now he's trying to prove that he is a hero, and everybody kind of knows, but it's a little bit hard to swallow, and that's why in issue two, we immediately have him... Hey, spoilers. In issue two, it's on the cover. In issue two, we immediately have him visiting Iron Man, because um, this isn't just going to be, uh, you know... A Thor book featuring Loki. This is Loki in the Marvel U, like uh, clashing with all kinds of different uh, characters and like the subgenres of Marvel comics. Because he's one of the very few characters who hangs out with like Thanos and Squirrel Girl. So you can kind of tell all kinds of different stories about him. And he's still on this, you know, perpetual redemptive path. So in trying to prove that he is the good guy while still indulging all of his impulses. Uh, I, I want uh, to see him, uh, you know, meet and interact with different different strata of Marvel characters. And what is it like knowing that with this run of Loki, you're technically coming out of a major event? So this is like not a spinoff, but it's the aftermath of one of the big events of War of the Realms. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of... I think that's very par for the course, uh, I think, because um, events are sort of annual-ish, yeah. uh, and uh, big status quo uh, upheavals uh, uh, come regularly enough uh, that uh, I think anybody who's kind of, anybody who's writing like a superhero comic is kind of getting on a treadmill that's already on, and I think that's sort of the fun, uh, there's a fun energy to that, where um, even if I wasn't coming out of an event, uh, we'd still have a character who's been around for fifty-seven years. Absolutely. So um, you know, he's still he's still the the Loki who uh, held around with the Young Avengers, and you know, who uh, apparently built a Tri Sentinel uh, at one point. Uh, I found that out two days ago. Wow. So um, uh, yeah, I mean, speaking of Loki, not necessarily doing Thor stuff. Uh, Loki built a sentinel at one point. <laughs> I mean, par for the course, of course. It's it's all it's all in there, uh, and he's you know he's also a, a god, and he's sort of this like cosmic being who is made of the stuff of stories. That's another big influence as well that we talked about. Uh, we talked about doing a book that was able to do things that um, you know Sandman uh, did, where there was sort of this like fuzzier big picture going on. Uh, and I, I think that Loki is always going to be much more sort of superhero-y. Uh, but uh, when you're dealing with characters who are literally gods, uh, and some of the previous Loki uh, runs, you know, the Journey into Mystery Stories obviously did this really well, where there's this kind of heavy fantasy component, and you can get very fuzzy with reality, uh, and very kind of uh, poetic uh, and, and non-literal uh, with the things that are happening. And uh, I like doing a, a character who can get punched in the face by Captain America, but also sort of exists on the ether of reality. It's so interesting that when you have these characters like a Loki, that they coexist in the same universe as, like, let's say, Jessica Jones or Daredevil. Because there's that, again, how massive the Marvel Universe really is. You have characters like Star-Lord, you have characters like... Again, going back to them, Fin Fang Foom, mm-hmm. they all exist in the same world, and it's just so cool to see. Yeah, that's always, I think, where the, the energy has been coming from. That's the alchemy that sort of made the whole experiment work to begin with. So, um, yeah, that's it. I'm really excited about doing a, a, doing a character who can walk in all of those uh, realms, you know, pun intended, I guess. Yeah. And uh, uh, I hope I hope people keep buying it because the more <laughs> the more we can do, uh, the more you know different uh, each arc uh, potentially can be. And we've got some really exciting stuff planned for issue five that uh, we're making some some changes to 
the nature of Loki's uh, power and situation, uh, that's going to open up a lot of storytelling possibilities. I was excited when I heard the announcement that you were going to be working on this title because I was like, oh, he's getting his own series now, like a straight up, you know, continual series. This was, again, just the fanboy in me. I was like, finally. Fine. That's it's very that's very kind. Are you talking about me or Loki? Because either way, that's very yes. kind of you. <laughs> yeah. Because I've followed your career since I met you. I know that conversation that we had. I was like learning things as I was talking to you. The initial uh, meeting, and there were moments like you worked on Quantum and Woody. I did. Like, yeah. No, I wrote it's, it's five issues of Quantum and Woody. Yeah, and I did it's the such an underrated run. And thank you. There's there are characters like that. Let me ask you because I was thinking about this on the train right here. Marvel and Valiant, no one ever has like a crossover with them. You always see Marvel versus DC, Marvel versus Dark Horse, or DC versus Dark Horse, etc., etc. What would you want to see for a Marvel Valiant crossover? A Marvel Valiant crossover? That's really interesting. Um, I'd well, love to see Quantum and Woody versus Deadpool. Yeah. Or team up with him. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the most obvious because um, those are characters that I've that I've worked on. And uh, partner with Christopher Priest for that too. Oh my god, <laughs> me partnering with Christopher Priest would just uh, be uh, me. Uh, sitting very quietly and saying, what do you think is a good idea? Uh, incredibly talented writer, Christopher Priest. I've met him uh, last year at Terrificon, and he could not have been a nicer person. I, I believe it. I'm a, I'm a big fan, and I've, we've not met or spoken, but uh, if you read my... Um, if you read my... Uh, well, everything I've done. If you read Quantum and Woody and if you read uh, Black Panther versus uh, Deadpool, those are all characters who are created by or closely associated with uh, Priest. And um, I w- was uh, a little nervous going in, uh, especially with Quantum and Woody, because he wants to live up to something that's so closely associated with um, the creator. And uh, with James Asmus as a run as well, because I he redefined the characters for... The, the relaunch of Valiant and my uh, continuity wise mine come directly directly off of his run um, but in terms of a crossover I know exactly what I'd like to see I'd like to see Jody Hauser write Faith meeting Spider-Man because uh, she is somebody who uh, in the same way Asmus kind of redefined Quantum and Woody she redefined Faith and uh, she's also doing uh, uh, Spider-Man uh, comics now yeah. and yeah, exactly. And Faith in the Valiant universe is aware of real-world pop culture. So you'd have that kind of, like, Gwenpool thing uh, where Faith would come in with a complete awareness, you know, of the Marvel universe, obviously. And I think Faith, in some ways, is Valiant's Peter Parker. I can absolutely see that. And, yeah, there's just so many... I know we actually did have a uh, Valiant Marvel crossover back in the day. I don't know if you remember Exo Manowar v... Iron Man. There was a video game. And it was not good. Was it just the video game? Or was, was there... There must have been a tie-in comic. There was a tie-in comic. And it was like... There were two issues, I want to say. And it was just like Marvel versus DC. DC versus Marvel. Like, they swapped the yeah. names on both. And, and somehow... And somehow Exo Manowar and Iron Man both pick up Thor's hammer. They both pick it up at the same time. Is, okay, so you can't do a crossover without somebody picking up Thor's hammer. It's the law. Wow, you're right. I'm going because this month on uh, the podcast we're doing Marvel versus DC. I'm, yeah, man. I'm looking through so much. I see. I've seen Wonder Woman pick it up. Mm-hmm. I've seen Cap pick it up. Of sure. Course. Uh, who else? I would like to see Fractions. Jimmy Olsen. Uh, the new fraction in Libra. I would like to see him somehow pick up Thor's hammer. <laughs> I picked that book up this week, and I'm really excited to give that a read. Cause it's great. Fraction, my God. My God, Fraction. It's real, real good. And, yeah, there's just so much that comics can do with moments like that, too. And when I earlier when I mentioned, how are you going to make us cry with your Loki run? It's going to involve Durf, isn't it? I'm not going to give anything away, but we, this is the first mention of Durf on the podcast, so we should we should explain if you haven't picked up Loki number one or uh, War of the Realms Omega. Yeah, Durf's first appearance. Yeah, Durf is the littlest frost giant. That line, by the way, we're all born small. God, you just got us right in the feels immediately. I'm just like, ah. Oh. Right off the bat. It was perfect. Right off the bat. That's what, like the third the third page of Loki comics uh, by by our team. 
by uh, and it's uh, uh, Oscar Balzadua from uh, you might know from Mr. and Mrs. X. Yes, uh, is doing the the pencils and uh, David Curiel who did uh, the I mean a, a million amazing things, but uh, the big uh, Avengers relaunch. Right. Um, all of those crazy... Uh, I was so excited to find out he was our colorist because he did all the underground uh, bugs that uh, Black Panther and Doctor Strange, all the neon green and the Celestials. I mean, that is a book that is a showcase for so many things, but but the colors on that, my God. So the fact that we got such a superhero-y look yeah. for Loki, a book about somebody becoming a superhero... Uh, has me has me thrilled, and uh, issue two uh, is is so gorgeous when he goes to Iron Man's house, and it's like, well, this is Iron Man's house. It looks like Iron Man's house. I like that's again, you want to give it that sense of grandeur to it too, you know. And in regards to Durf, what was the creative process like behind that character? That's just my wife. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just no. I mean, I'm exaggerating a tiny bit, but uh, I yeah, I wanted I wanted somebody who had the sort of because uh, Loki is defined by the fact that he's an outcast, uh, and um, I wanted uh, to have uh, someone that he saw his past self in. Uh, to kind of have a, um, you know, like a mentorship role or like a quasi-parental role to kind of like embody the embody the responsibility that he has now. Uh, and in terms of just like us, Durf being kind of a small little goblin figure who is making trouble in, in Jotunheim, um, yeah, it's, it's sort of based on my wife, just her kind of energy around the house. Durf might have been honestly my favorite part of the book just because just such a kind of character and that's again what Marvel is it's fun characters it's the excitement and imagination and yeah yeah and Durf already has his own Durf already has his own foil who I, I won't I won't give away because uh, this hasn't been fully spoiled online yet but there's another new character in Loki 1 uh, who's going to be uh, butting heads with Durf uh, and I, I, I think people will I don't think there's anything like it in the Marvel U yet uh, so I was really happy with this contribution I again I highly recommend checking this book out. And I'm not just saying this because you're here. It's a fun book and you get the voices of the characters. You get the sense of the mischievousness of the character. Is that even a word, mischievousness? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. You get the mischievousness of Loki and there's just something about it. It's hard to describe, but it's, the again, the same word of it, the grandeur of the Marvel Universe. And especially on the... The not I was gonna say mystic, but more mythical side. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that it's it's uh, it's like I was saying earlier. It's very freeing um, to have those tools uh, at your disposal as a writer because uh, if you're doing something like um, you know Tony Stark uh, has to have a dream sequence. Uh, to get those sort of like weird visuals or playing with reality or something like that, you know, or like a mystical character has to be involved. Uh, you know, Doctor Strange is messing with him or taking him on a vision quest or something. With Loki, we can kind of just do it when we need to. Because right. it's all about servicing the story in this character who is, you know, the embodiment of stories. So that's where we can get a little bit 90s vertigo with it uh, as as needed. I was disappointed when Marvel closed them down, you know. How dare they? Man. How dare they? And then they canceled The Walking Dead. They canceled Walking Dead. I blame Netflix. I think, yeah, they, they somehow canceled Good Omens. Good Omens. Yeah. <laughs> Just so much happened. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate I appreciate that you uh, recognize the mischievousness uh, of Loki because that is, you know, good guy or bad guy, that's who he is. Yeah. And I've been looking at, you know, uh, look, no writer reads reviews ever. But I accidentally read all of the reviews, and uh, into that yeah, 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 I fell down the stairs and I landed in a pile of reviews. And some people uh, said, "Oh, I really like it," but uh, I don't see any of like the big, the big machinations, you know, the big like long cons that we associate with Loki. Uh, to which I, the writer, quietly tent my fingers oh. and say, "Hoo hoo hoo hoo! Oh, you don't see the bigger plan, do you?" Yeah, and. The funniest thing is, you've gotten really good reviews for this so far. I was, like, right before I read it, I'm like, let's see what they're saying. It's really nice. It's yeah. really it's really validating. And I think everybody is just so into it. 
uh, I think that the the love and the excitement for this character has been around for for so long, oh, yeah. uh, and uh, we all feel really lucky and excited. And we've got like a million things that we've been sitting on because Loki is Loki, and yeah. now we get to do the Loki stuff. Now, are you saying Loki is Loki, or are you saying Loki is Loki? Loki is high key. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we wrap this episode up. How can people get a hold of you on social media? It's pretty easy. Uh, I am at Kibblesmith, my last name uh, across uh, all social media. And uh, I have a website at kibblesmith.com that I actually update. Uh, I'm the only podcast guest who updates their website. We appreciate that. Yeah. It's, you know, everybody else is like, I'm on Tumblr, but I don't use it. No, man, I update the website. Oh, no, no, that's not true. I just found out Jim Zub updates his website. Oh, I love Zub. Uh, much, much, much more than me or anyone else in the world. I know, I know Al Ewing uh, updates his Tumblr. Oh. He still does. Although... I believe you're correct, yeah. I have, a, I have a funny story to tell you about uh, Al Ewing, who unfortunately I'm blocked by, but oh, I boy. didn't do anything for once, and I'm actually being serious. But I digress. Hey, does Al Ewing have a Hulk? Yes, he does. It, probably it's it's the person it's the person who blocks people on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Daniel, it was an absolute pleasure. Hey, thank you for having me. And be sure to pick up Loki number one, available at all comic shops, and you'll also be able to read it on Comicsology. Thank you. Excelsior, true believer. <laughs> <laughs> we, get, we did it. <laughs>